church. Let's, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this moment. We can come together and worship you, Father. Yeah, we just want to um, give you praises, our God, and uh, we thank you that we can come together. I just pray you'd rid me of myself now and speak through me. Give us receptive hearts to the message you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Great to be here today. I've prepared a short welcome for some visitors we have here. I'm going to see if I can get it right. Okay, so hello. My name is Lachlan. And welcome, no, welcome to church. Awesome. Great to see you guys. <laughs> yeah, and welcome to everyone here joining us in person and online too. Uh, so grateful that you're here today. If I haven't met you before, my name's Lockie. I'm one of the pastors here at Gold Coast Central. And yeah, so grateful that you're here. Um, you've picked a great day to join us if it is your first time, because we're starting a brand new series today called Stride. Stride, okay? So turn to the person next to you and say stride. Stride. That word stride, it means to take deliberate steps in a chosen direction. That's what that word means. And this year we've been talking about a phrase called walking the way. And this series is all about faith, right? How is it that we walk the way in faith? And so the, the word that we've given to that is stride, right? To take deliberate steps in a chosen direction. And that's what we're going to be talking about. And as you can see below here, we're going to be addressing a very important question today, which is, firstly, what is faith? Probably pretty important to answer that question if we're going to be unpacking it for the next few weeks. So I have a short passage that we're going to unpack really quickly now. And it's from the book of Hebrews, okay? So if you have a Bible on you, Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to start out. And the reason for this is that uh, if you were to read the Bible, you'll notice there's some big letters, big numbers, little numbers. Um, but the Bible didn't originally have those. It was uh, a continuous story. Every book was a continuous story. And the book of Hebrews, uh, we don't know exactly who the author was. Some suggest it was Paul. Some suggest it was someone else. But the book of Hebrews basically is a sermon. So more correctly, you'd probably listen to the book rather than read it. But here in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, it's going to lead in really well to what we're unpacking today, this question of what is faith. Okay, so let's read this together now. It says, so do not throw away your confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you'll receive all that he has promised the author goes on to quote a writer from the Old Testament called Habakkuk. And he says, for in just a little while, the coming one, who's the coming one? Jesus. Jesus, right? The coming one, Jesus, will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. They'll live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved, right? Just as much a challenge as it is an encouragement, right? That in a complex world with complex problems, what we need to cultivate most is faith. That's the argument that the author of Hebrews is putting forward here, okay? So as we go through, this is what we're starting with today. The world we live in is a complicated world. There are complicated problems in it, and the author suggests that in that time before Jesus returns, what we really need to work on and to cultivate is faith. But we're still left with the question, what is faith? What is it? And as Murray shared before from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we see this verse here, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
Your translation might, might say something a little bit different. It might say, faith is the assurance. Faith is, faith is the, pro, the promise. Faith is this or faith is that. But I think this is probably the, the, the closest um, connection to what the ancient Greek was talking about. And so we're going to actually say those Greek words to each other now. I've, uh, I've translated them here. And I want you to say to the person next to you, hypostasis. Hypostasis. Hypo- oh, sorry. <laughs> I forgot they have to spell it out. I should have prepped you, Janae. That's my bad. So hypostasis. Faith is the hypostasis, right? <laughs> it means substance, right? It's not just something in here. It's, some, it's tangible. You can grab onto it. You can touch it. You can see it. You can feel it. That's what faith is. Secondly, and you need to get your phlegm building up here, it's the elechos. Elechos. All right? Get the phlegm going. Elechos. It is the evidence of things not seen. Okay? So we come back to the English, which says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. Now, few of you will know the answer to this. I want you to see if you can guess it. What is one of my absolute favorite sports to follow? I talk about it a lot. AFL, thank you. AFL is one of my absolute favorite sports to follow. Who knows what happened on the 29th of September, 2018? Eagles won the grand final. My beloved West Coast Eagles won the grand final. Now, I talk about AFL a lot, right? And I'll continue to talk about AFL a lot. That's probably not going to change. Um, But what gives you guys the impression that I am a fan of the West Coast Eagles? I wear the jersey. I talk about it a lot. Yeah? From Western Australia. There's a bit of evidence to suggest it. What about if I was to do this? Don't worry. It's okay. (laughs) Just relax, Murray. (laughs) What if I was to do this, right? Can you now see that there is substance to my claim that I support the West Coast Eagles? You can see I'm bringing substance to it because it's tangible. If you were to come up, you would feel this is a real jersey. You would see the Hungry Jacks. You'd see the AFL. You'd see the West Coast Eagles here. And there is now substance to what I've said, that I support the West Coast Eagles. What made the 29th of September 2018 such a special day was that they did become champions of the AFL. They won the grand final. And um, because of that, I could then go and say the West Coast Eagles are the best team in the AFL. And it was amazing. I was on the winning side. There was substance to what I believed to be true. Yeah? Does that make sense? So there's substance to what I believe to be true. And the same thing goes for faith. Right? That, that faith isn't just something that happens in here. It's something that flows out in our days and our ways as we practice what we believe to be true. And that's the starting point for faith. And if you were to go through the rest of this chapter in Hebrews 11, we're not going to read all of it. We're going to read a couple little parts. But we're going to look at this question, well, what is faith according to the author of Hebrews? Right? I've suggested that it's substance, that it's not just something that happens in your mind, but, but what more, right? Where do we go from there? So I want you to jump down to verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 11. I'm just going to stay on the side there so I can read it as well. But it says this, It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. So this is a story from the book of Genesis, and if you're not familiar with it, Sarah was a a woman who was married to a man named Abraham. He wasn't always named Abraham. Uh, He had an encounter with God partway through his life, and God gave him that name, Abraham. And he gave Abraham a few promises, right? He promised him that he had a place for Abraham, a land 
for Abraham and his descendants to live in. He also said to Abraham, look up at the sky. That's how many descendants you're going to have. It's going to be incredible. You're going to have a huge family. Now, there's a few problems with that promise for Abraham because his wife Sarah, as it says in the text, he was unable to have a child. A bit hard to have countless descendants when your wife can't have a child. And so they're in a position now where, where God has promised something to them, but they're now having to walk by faith. They're now having to stride deliberately in that direction to see that God is faithful. And at this point in the story, God has actually been faithful to the first part of that promise. He's given them a land to exist in, to, to, to live their lives in. And so for Sarah, she had seen enough from God to trust that he was going to continue to be faithful. God had already fulfilled the first part of his promise to them, and so he believed that God would continue to be faithful as well. And that teaches us something really important about what faith is, right? Because to start out, according to this story of Sarah, if we're going to unpack this more, her faith is based on evidence. She, she has enough faith in what God has already done, enough faith in what God has already done that she trusts he's going to continue to be faithful to her. And so we keep reading in verse 17 to 19, we read about her husband. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was texting him. Hold on. <laughs> That's a weird sentence, okay? Just bear with me. We're going to unpack that in a moment. Abraham, who had received God's promises. So this is further along in the story. So not only has, has Abraham received the land that God promised, he's now received the son that God promised as well in a miraculous situation. Abraham, who, was, who received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned. He reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Can you imagine that? Like God promises you something, and, and, and you, you do your best to follow it, and you, you don't do it perfectly. You make some mistakes along the way, and if you were to look at Abraham's story, you would see that he makes some pretty big mistakes along the way. But the outcome of that story is God is faithful to his promise, and he gives him this son. But then he says to Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice this son. Right? And that's a pretty strange thing. For, for God, a God of love, to ask of someone. And we're not going to unpack that story completely today. But what happens is the story goes on. They, they, they travel to a mountain. They go up to the top of the mountain. They build an altar there. And Abraham puts his son, this son of promise, on the altar. And he is there in a position willing to sacrifice his only son because of his faith in God. But just before he does it, God says, wait. And a ram appears and they're able to sacrifice the ram as well. And I think what we see in that story is a, is a paradigm shift for Abraham because he realizes, right, he realizes that it is God who is the owner of all things, that it is God who provides. Right? And I think it was an object lesson for what Jesus was going to do in the future. But in Abraham's story, again, we see that faith is reasonable. He'd reasoned that because God had been faithful up to this point in his life, God would continue to be faithful. Does that make sense? 
So he sees God's track record and he's like, you know what, I've got enough confidence in that track record to suggest God is going to continue to be who he says he is. The other thing I see about faith from these stories is that faith is actionable, right? You can do something with it. Again, faith isn't just something that happens in your mind. Faith is something that we live out, that we outwork, right? I have faith that West Coast are going to win every time they play, so I wear this jersey, trusting that when I go out to the shops afterwards, I'm going to be able to walk around with it confidently because they're going to win, right? It's the substance of my faith. But we come to this idea that faith starts with reason and ends with action. And if faith is these things, then there are certain things that faith cannot be, yeah? So, so what have you guys heard as sayings about faith? You ever heard like little phrases or sayings about faith? Any that come to mind? Faith without works is dead, yeah? What else have you heard about faith? Blind faith. Thank you, Murray. What else? What was that? I didn't quite hear that. How about a leap of faith? You guys heard that? Yeah, there's a few things that people say about faith. But we're going to see if those things are true things or not. So, if, if faith is reasonable, can it at the same time be ambiguous and abstract? Probably not. If, faith is, if there is substance behind it, if there is something to believe in, faith cannot at the same time be reasonable and then be abstract and ambiguous and, and unable to, to, to comprehend of. At the same time, faith cannot be blind and unreasonable because there is evidence for what we believe to be true. If you were to, to, to look into it and, and find research, you would see there is very convincing evidence that there was a man named Jesus who came to this earth, who lived an incredible life, did miracles, and then he died on a cross. But he didn't stay dead. After three days, he rose from the grave. There's a lot of evidence to point towards that. And if you're struggling with that idea, that concept, I challenge you to go check it out, because the amount of evidence for that is incredible. And thirdly, that faith doesn't have to be an intellectual leap, right? It doesn't have to be a stretch. If you feel like your faith experience is that, that it is a bit of a leap, that it is a bit unreasonable, then I challenge you to take those questions, write them down, and then go to the scriptures and see what they say about them. Because the faith I have is one that is reasonable. It is in a God of reason, a God of intelligence, a God of intellect, Right, so faith starts with reason and ends with action. Right? Does that make sense? Faith starts with reason and ends with action. A lot of the times we separate the two, right? We say, okay, faith is over here, it's what happens in our head, and then action or obedience is what over here. This is what happens with what we do with our faith. But according to the author of Hebrews, rather than being two separate ideas, he thinks about them as two sides of the same coin. Yeah? So you've got like your heads and your tails. Imagine the head being the mind, the tails being the action or something like that. Um, they're two sides of the same coin, right? That, that faith and action work together. So what you truly believe is going to out, outwork itself in the way you live your life. That's the argument of the author of Hebrews here. So I'm going to illustrate this now, and I've got Tom who's going to help me out with this. Special thank you to Murray who did exactly what I was going to do before. Great minds think alike. <laughs> but Tom's going to um, drop, drop a chair behind me. I'm not going to look where he's going to place it. He's going to put it somewhere randomly behind me. And um, in a moment, I'm going to try and find it and sit on it with your help. So I'm just assuming, the ch is the chair down now? It's not down. How about now? Okay. Now, 
Thank you, Tom, for your help. So do I have reasonable evidence to suggest there's a chair behind me on stage? A long way away? Why, do I, why, why can I believe that? Because you guys can see it? Who can see the chair behind me on stage? Okay, that's quite a lot of people. Who can't see the chair? Okay, a couple of people that can't see the chair. I'll know who not to listen to in a moment. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to face directly front now, and I want you guys to direct me towards the chair. And I'm going to sit down when you tell me to sit down. Go backwards. My left or your left? <laughs> I think I'm only trusting Emma now. <laughs> More? Oh, Tommy. There we go. So, for, for faith to be faith and to lead to action, it's relying on a few things, right? I often say to people, you have to choose to follow Jesus for yourself, but you can't continue to follow Jesus by yourself, right? We need each other to continue to follow Jesus well. And so some of the things I think that faith is dependent on is, firstly, that we're in a community that's able to tell us stories about how God has led in their life, Right? We call those testimonies or stories. So thanks so much, Gemini, for sharing your story. Right? It's an encouragement to me. But we need to do that so that we can strengthen each other's faith. Yeah? That the second thing is that we need a community to help guide us. That's why we have life groups. That's why we have Bible study groups during the week here on a Saturday morning. It's because we want to be following God closely together. Right? And thirdly, there's something called a transfer of trust. That's what's going on here in the book of Hebrews. The author is writing stories of people that you and I have never met. We, I've never met Abraham. I've never met Sarah. I may one day when I get to heaven, and I'm looking forward to that. But he's writing this story to show us that you can trust in God because these people trusted in God, and they walked in that. They strided in faith there, and the outcome was that God was faithful, and the outcome was positive in the end. And so that's some things that I think we need to consider as we're talking about faith, right? Because it starts with reason and it ends with action. Can we just go to the next slide, please? So we come to close off this message, and this is the thought I want to leave you with today. That as a church, we are called to give substance to what a life of faith can look like. Right? As a church... We are called to give substance, like I'm wearing a jersey to say I go for the Eagles. We're called to embody what a life of faith truly looks like. I believe the message of Jesus is a countercultural message. That it's not exactly the same as the rest of the world lives their life. And if that is the case, then we as the church need to embody that. That's why we have things at this church called values. Our first value is being spiritually grounded, right? That Jesus is the center of our life and God's word is our authority. That is what we're called to live by as a church. And when we embody that, I think it's going to lead us to living a life that is different to the way of the world. 
and different for the better. Our second value is being socially inclusive. And not inclusivity in the way that the rest of the world thinks of inclusivity, right? The rest of the world thinks inclusivity means affirming who I am and what I believe. And what that's meant is that if I disagree with you, by default, I must hate you. Or if I agree with you, by default, I must love you and accept you. And so these ideas of agreement and disagreement have become synonymous or the same as affirming or hating. What the Bible teaches is that every single human being, no matter who they are, at the same time is broken but incredibly valuable to God. And because of that, any disagreement, anything wrong about them is not a reason to like them less. And in the same way, anything good about them is not a reason to like them more. We are called to a standard of love that says no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, no matter how good or bad it is, no matter what car you drive, no matter what job you have, no matter what your vaccination status is, yeah, I said it, no matter, no matter what is going on in your life, you are worthy of love. Not because you're great, not because you're bad, because God loves you. He created you, he died for you, and he wants you to live a new life with him. That's the standard of love we're called to live by. Do you think that would be different to what we see going on in the world right now? Yep. I think it would be for sure. That's why this is a countercultural message. And thirdly, to be mission-focused. Right? We don't exist for ourselves. In the same way that Jesus selflessly gave his own life to save us, we as a church are called to lay our lives down in service of other people. To show them love, to show them respect, to serve them, to help them, expecting nothing in return. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to be unpacking those values in more depth. We're going to be looking at what does it mean for us as a church to walk by faith as we're spiritually grounded, as we're socially inclusive, and as we're mission-focused. All right, so I'm going to close in a prayer in a moment. I just want you to consider for your own life right now, in what ways have I been bringing substance to my faith? Right? In what ways have I been allowing God to work through me? Are there any areas in which God might want to do more? And as you consider that as I pray, I want to invite you now not to make a commitment to try harder, but to make a commitment to allowing God in, to submitting to Him and allowing Him to work through us. Because genuine life change can only happen when we submit, when we lay our lives down and say, Jesus, I can't do it on my own. I need you to enter into my heart and to work through me. So as I pray, would you just close your eyes? And if you want to make a commitment with me, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that partway through. And so, Father, we thank you for the love you have for us. We thank you for Jesus, who laid down his life so that we might have a right relationship with you today. God, you did not spare any expense in making sure that we would know without a doubt just how far you would go to show us you love us. And Lord, may we be so moved by that that we would want to live new lives as you call us to. Lord, I pray over us as a church that we would not just be people who believe in our heads, but who live out and bring substance to with our lives what we believe. 
God, we know that is only possible as much as we allow you in, as we empty us of ourselves. And so, God, we commit today not to trying harder, not to, not to working harder, not to believing better. What we, what we commit to doing today, God, is we want to lay our lives down. You say in your word, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow you. And so, Jesus, I want to raise my hand now and say, I'm in. God, I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes, but I'm in. And I want to invite you, church, if you want to join me now, I just want to ask you to raise your hand and just say, yes, Jesus, I'm in. I want to bring substance to my faith. I don't want it to just be in my head. And so by raising your hand, I just want you to to release and say, yes, Jesus, I want you to come into my heart. I want you to change me. I want you to work through me because it's only then that we will see genuine change in our lives. And so, Father, you see these hands. You know the commitments that have been made in people's hearts. And Lord, I just want to praise you for the way you are moving here. And Father, as we close off this program, may we leave knowing that wherever we find ourselves in the week ahead, we can make a difference for your kingdom because you are with us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.